Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by World on Fire, a new podcast from CBC Edmonton. World on Fire is a new five-part series which takes you to the front lines of -of out-of-control wildfires in Canada, Australia, and California. Recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, hosts Adrian Lamb and Mike Flanagan look at what it takes to find hope in the midst of fear and destruction and how communities affected by wildfires rebuild. The series examines the high cost that wildfires cause to people's health, homes, and communities. Find World on Fire on the CBC Listen app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it online right now at cbc.ca slash world on fire just when you think the summer heat wave has come to an end it comes back <laughs> worse than before it is so hot today mid 30s celsius for those of you who are using the celsius the thermometer on my car this afternoon uh, peaked at 34 yeah as i was driving home that's uh that's unusually warm We don't usually get too many days 30-plus during the summer, and we've had a couple of them in a row. We usually only get, like, one good heat wave in the summer, and then it goes back to, you know, quote-unquote, reasonable. (laughs) We've had two big heat wave spikes, and it is too hot for Anita. Yeah, there are some people, and we've said this before, there are some people who love the heat. I mean, we don't mind it, but... I'm not built for it. No, we we are not born to the heat and are not fully acclimatized to it. So what better way to spend a hot summer day than with a book, maybe out on the patio, on your gravity chair, uh, (laughs) with a a cool blender drink in hand. Mm, Blender drinks. With some umbrella provided shade. Very important. Maybe a cool breeze. Perhaps a fan of some kind. Just to kind of cut the heat just a little bit. Just a little bit so that it's comfortable. And what what would you be reading but our current novel so that you can keep up with uh, the podcast? Absolutely. That just makes sense. I uh, mean... 100%. I presume <laughs> that, like us, you are reading no other books At while all, we are proceeding ever. through this. That's a filthy lie. I actually bought a few new books just <laughs> See, today. That's a great big lie. I read a different book today at lunch. Indeed. You know, I'm actually... <laughs> no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually sidetrack us here for a second. I used to be a much more voracious reader than I currently am, and I'm glad we do the podcast because it keeps me reading regularly. Whereas, historically, I used to burn through, like, a book every couple weeks. Nowadays, I might only read a handful of books a year, uh, which is to my detriment. I actually, that is that is my personal shame. I wish I was reading more than I seem to be able to find time to do in the last couple of years. It's why I joined my other book club first. I felt I wasn't reading enough, and I wanted to try new books. And my my book club has brought me some amazing books that I would never have picked for myself. And, and books that I loved. So, there we go. Well, hopefully, uh, our podcast has also brought you, Anita, and you, our listeners, uh, some books that you might not have normally picked up. And hopefully, if we've hit up a genre that maybe you don't usually read, 
maybe you're a, a prolific science fiction reader or a fantasy reader, but you know, we've done horror books, we've done mystery books, we're doing a mystery thriller right now. Hopefully you've been willing to come along with us and try out new genres and, and new books and new authors that you might not have normally picked up. Yeah. That would be, that would please me. If you expand your horizons, you don't have to like every book that we've read either. We'd be right tickled. Indeed. But uh, it's always good to try something new. Maybe find uh, an author or genre that you uh, maybe hadn't given a fair shot at before, but hey, you like. With that said, we will do a brief recap of last episode, mm -hmm. wherein Beth had an opportunity to sit down and, and really have a good hard think in her hotel room about all of the crazy stories that she had been fed over the prior couple chapters, started to figure out that maybe something wasn't quite adding up and had an aha moment uh, around the time that she had yet another conversation with Lou Monday, who provided her with one final tantalizing clue, question mark, but mm. also the phone number Very for important. one, Flora Caterbraid. <laughs> Flora Jeanette Caterbraid. One word. And that leads us into chapter 24 of Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna. So Beth does not hesitate. She calls Flora basically immediately. Uh, and despite our suspicions from last chapter that uh, it might not in fact be Flora's cell phone number, it is. And she picks up after a couple rings, and tells Beth, I believe I told you to leave me alone. Why are you calling me <laughs> not 10 minutes later? And Beth's reply is basically, nope. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> You're not getting rid of me that easy. Um, She actually borderline threatens Flora here because she's like, listen, lady, I'm your former best friend and something is up. And you and possibly some children are in danger. And I am never going to let this go. I am going to follow this to both of our deaths if necessary. I will hunt you down. You might as well just come clean with me because whatever they're holding over you, whatever you think they might not do because you managed to shake me, it's not happening. It's not going to happen. So you might as well just tell me what's going on and let me help you. The only way to make me go away to give me what I want. Yeah. Points to Beth. She is, a, if nothing else, persistent. Uh, again, a trait that she shares with one Lewis Braid. Yes. Poor Flora. She lets drop in this kind of opening tirade that the school is also worried about Thomas, which is kind of a white lie. It's only one person at the school who has expressed that concern. Yes, but it is one person at the school. It's true. Flora's pretty quiet through all of this, except for a little bit of sobbing on the other end of the phone. And through her kind of opening gambit here, Beth doesn't exactly know where she's going with this. No, she's doing that uh, that thing where you talk through it as you process it. So she's following her own line of logic with Flora on the line, like giving her confirmations that lead her down, well, confirmations in air quotes, because she's not actually saying much. I think there's also an element of it wherein Beth is cognizant that if she stops talking, that might be the end of the conversation. Yeah, Flora might hang up on her. Yeah, so she kind of needs to keep going, even if she's not certain what the destination is yet. Yeah. She's just like, I just hope I get there eventually. <laughs> it's it's funny, Beth. It's, it's like Beth needs to talk it out with herself, but she can't do that, so she's doing it with Flora. 
Like I, like I said before, it's a talking process at the same time. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll know when I get there. Yeah, kind of. Ultimately, she says, listen, Flora, right now you're listening to them and they don't have your best interests in mind. You need to start listening to me. You need to tell me the truth. And delaying that is only going to prolong whatever you and the kids are going through. You might as well just lay it all out for me and then you've gained yourself like a real ally. And I don't think Beth is just saying that either. No, I think she's sincere at this moment. Yeah. We talked about this before, how she was using the welfare of the children as an excuse to solve the mystery. And somewhere along the lines, it actually became about the welfare of the children. And at this point, it's now looped in with the welfare of Flora. And I I genuinely believe that Beth is trying to help. I think... She was motivated primarily by curiosity at first, but as she's come to understand that there is a danger. Yeah, there is something wrong. That, yeah, she's bought in. She's now pursuing this with the intention of trying to help. Yeah. Even if originally that wasn't her motivation. Motivations can shift. Absolutely. As you learn new facts. Help as opposed to just solve. Exactly. Yeah. Flora asks Beth at this juncture, why can't you just move on and forget everything? And Beth lays it out. Look, something's wrong. Kids are potentially being harmed. And you might be fine with that situation, but how can you deny the kids who are in that situation with you the help that they clearly need? And this kind of almost backfires on her because Flora kind of goes off on her and tells her, like, you don't you don't know anything. You don't understand anything. You have none of the context you need for this. In Beth's defense, that's because no one's willing to just tell her anything. And she basically says that. Like, well, then tell me what's going on. Yeah. She she admits, like, yes, there's lots I don't understand. However, like, I know that there is, there's something wrong. So with that, Beth starts to try to ask some pointed questions to get the clarifications she wants and needs in order to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And hopefully she's going to stumble on the right questions. Yeah. So she kind of starts at the beginning and the farthest back she can think of the that something weird had happened was the fuss over breastfeeding Georgina on that last meeting at their house. Yes. And Flora's legit perplexed by this. She's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And Beth is surprised because... That's the night she cut up the photo. And she's like, "That's that was our big friends off. Yeah, I would that assume was the that the night would... our friendship ended. How do you not remember that? Yeah, it should stick out in your mind. And Flora's like, I actually had forgotten you'd cut up the photo. And that amused me because, again, this is the sin that Beth was so hung up on for half the book. Yeah. That she was unwilling to tell her husband about. Yeah, this is what she's been sitting on for 12 years. And the people she thought she had hurt. Don't care. It's a total non-issue for them. Didn't know, didn't care, don't remember. Yeah. Lewis thought it was an amusing anecdote, and Flora couldn't even remember that it had happened. Yeah. I'm positive <laughs> that there is a specific word for this kind of scenario. I just don't know what it is. Beth rolls this over in her mind a bit and posits, okay, you know what? You may have put it out of your mind because you were clearly distracted that day. I think that you were distracted that day because all of this started much sooner than that. You'd already been pulling away from us. And what I thought was tension over the photo, I think, was maybe tension that you and Lewis had brought into the house. I had mistaken it as directed at me because, again, all selfish, selfish yeah. Beth was all wrapped up in her own drama and did not realize that maybe the tension was between you and Lewis. And that's why things were weird. Yeah, and it was already there. 
Uh, Beth and Flora kind of walked through the day a little bit. Dom and Lewis apparently had gone to the pub, leaving the two of them alone to chat for a bit. Mm-hmm. Georgina had been sleeping. She woke up, and as babies do when they wake up, when they're quite young, she got fussy and hungry. Yeah. And so Flora whipped went, out a boob and <laughs> went, went, to, feed her went baby. to feed her baby. And when Lewis got back from the pub, he lost his mind over this. Just absolutely went off on her. This leads Beth to at least something, which is like... Clearly, this was not about you because you breastfed Thomas and Emily with no issue. You sunbathed topless through half of the world <laughs> and Lewis didn't blink an eye. So it must have been something about Georgina. This all comes back to Georgina somehow. Yeah. So knowing what we know, because we've read the end of the chapter, knowing what we know here in the middle of the chapter, if Beth is right, this breaks my heart. If Beth is right... And Lewis is the one who decided that Georgina shouldn't be alive anymore. That means that he felt that she didn't deserve to be fed. And if that's true, I, I'll sit down and cry about it. Because that's horrible. Flora tells Beth she needs to drop this whole line of reasoning. Uh, she needs to just walk away at this juncture. And she lets slip, look, the, the whole former best friend thing, that is a two-way street. And as much as you don't want any harm to come to me, I don't want any harm to come to you. And she's basically implying that she's mixed up with some dangerous people. Yeah. And that they're willing to perhaps harm Beth or her family in order to keep their secrets. And this is the first time that the red flag goes off with an alarm bell Yeah. in Beth's mind that she might actually be in real, truly serious trouble. It's interesting that Beth up until this juncture... Like, she's had some red flags go off, yes. And in the back of her mind, she's clearly been concerned about Dom and the kids because that's why she flew back to her hotel room after the beach conversation and immediately called them, Mm -hmm. was to partly check in on them. But all this time, while Beth has been like, you know, my investigation might be actually putting Flora and the kids in more potential danger, and that hasn't deterred her, the thought that she herself and her family might be suddenly in danger actually does trip her up. Mm-hmm. And that's that was weird. That that jumped out at me a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the first time it had ever happened. But Beth has thought before, like when she found out that Yanina had pulled the kids out of school, in the back of her mind she was like, oh no, maybe my maybe my, you know, dogged pursuit of this has somehow put them in further jeopardy. That's terrible. But I will not be deterred. Yeah. Until it hits a little too close to home. And yet she's still not deterred. She just tells herself that, you know, I would not be able to forgive myself if I let up. If there was something I could do to help. And if something happens to Flora and the impossible Thomas and the impossible Emily, how could I look at myself in the mirror? She also has a little line of uh, thought here, which I also found amusing, where she's Telling herself, like, no, I've been right about everything so far, and my gut instinct is telling me that I need to see this through the end, and surely I'm right about that, too. And then she immediately thinks, oh, like, you were right about how Thomas and Emily hadn't aged in 12 years? Yeah. And she's just like, quiet, you. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, brain. I'm busy. Beth decides to get back onto some more pointed questions here. She wonders, was Lewis Georgina's father? And Flora confirms, yes, she was never unfaithful to Lewis. Georgina was definitely his daughter. Beth had asked because she was legitimately wondering, could Kevin have been the father? Which might explain some of the weirdness. Maybe. 
Beth brings up Chimpy again. And once again, Flora's like, I have literally no idea what you're talking about. And Beth confirms, yes, it turns out I made a mistake. You hadn't been saying, hey, Chimpy, on the phone that day. You had been saying HMP. Because something that we did not catch last episode, despite the fact that we talked mm -hmm. about HMP Peterborough. Yes. And that's because with our quaint Canadian accents. We were saying HMP. But if you are speaking in a regal British accent. You say HMP. Yes. Which sounds like, hey, chimpy. Yes. That's obviously in reference to the Peterborough prison that we were talking about yes. last episode. I appreciate that we both we both had the same conclusion about it. Oh, we've just been pronouncing it wrong because we're on the other side of the world. It's an H. Flora says she knows no one in prison, and Beth pointedly says, least of all you, right? Um, and she admits that she first thought that Chimpy might be an unkind nickname for Georgina. Beth doesn't say it in this chapter, but she's put two and two together. And she she tells Flora that's the case, but she doesn't elaborate. But we we have pieced some stuff together that I think at this point it's safe for us to say that it's what Beth pieced together. And it was what Beth had looked up on Google. Mm -hmm. And it's what led to Beth's epiphany. Yes. And that is that she had looked up HMP Peterborough, Peterborough. and confirmed that that was a prison that was a real place, as we had done. And that led to her epiphany last chapter, which was no one's in prison. Flora's being controlled by the threat of prison. Yes. That would seem to be what she's hit upon. Yes. Flora kind of derails the conversation here, actually, in, yeah, in an interesting way. Interesting little tangent about names. Yeah. Flora actually says that Lewis hates nicknames. He never expressly forbade them, but it was just kind of known that it was always Thomas and Emily, never like Tom and Emmy or anything. Yeah. Or M. Yeah, none of that. He was big on full names. Flora confides that he was actually pretty horrible with Beth's kids' nicknames, which kind of irks Beth in that moment, because he did not like that they called Zan, Zan or Zanna. Yeah, it and should the, be Susanna. And they never called Ben, Benjamin. And apparently it just drove Lewis up the wall. Yeah. And Beth is like, well, what about Romcom Dom, his nickname for Dominic? And Flora's like, oh, Lewis thought that was funny. So yeah, it gets a pass. Nicknames that are jokes get a pass. Yeah. Also, he came up with it. Yeah. So clearly it's okay. Flora says, however, Chimpy would have been a cruel nickname. There was nothing funny about it. So Lewis would never have let that fly. Yeah, no. She asks Beth, do you, do you think that we might have given her the nickname Chimpy because of her eye problem? Like, I know you spoke to my parents. Lewis told me that. They must have told you that she would have needed surgery when she got a little older or some other sort of corrective procedure for her eye. And they kind of get hung up on that for a minute. Flora uses the actual medical term for it, which I'd have to look up because I don't remember off the top of my head. And Beth is trying to figure out what that is. And I think she mistakes it for like a car brand or something. All right. I have looked it up. It's strabismus. And then uh, Beth is thinking Stradivarius. She makes a, a, a comment about uh, a polished violin. She actually is wondering if it's the same as a lazy eye. And Flora's like, eh, it's not exactly the same. It's kind of a different Similar, thing. but not quite. Yeah. And then Flora's like, why are we even talking about this? What have we gotten hung up on this about? Because Georgina's dead and it doesn't matter. And then she asks Beth for a little bit of clarification here. Did you think we called Georgina Chimpy because you thought she was ugly? And Beth is like, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. no. We called our kids little chimps 
for years, affectionately. Yeah. I mean, we, in real life, Anita and I, call at least one of our kids monkey regularly. Oh, all the time. Yeah, and it's not because we think that he looks like a monkey. No, it's because he's bouncing around. Pretty much. <laughs> Flora gets insistent that Georgina was just a perfect, beautiful little girl. And this clues in Beth that maybe Lewis thought she was ugly. Because she was imperfect. And she walks up to asking Flora, did did Lewis murder Georgina because she was imperfect? But she can't quite bring herself to ask it, right. certainly over the phone. That, it, that's towing a line for Beth. Even as she thinks that, she's like, even if that's the case, how does it explain Kevin? How does it explain Yanina? How does it explain the replacement gold kids? None of it makes sense. Even if Lewis is responsible for Georgina's death. Right? There are still a lot of questions left. Yeah. At this juncture, Flora's like, do you want to come over so that we can talk in person? Flora's like, Lewis is out for the day. It should be safe for you to come by the house he's got me set up in at least this afternoon because he might drop by this evening. And Beth is like, that would give me enough time to talk to you. So Flora gives her the address and that ends chapter 24. Yep. So, I still have so many questions. I've stumbled onto a major company conspiracy, Mac. How about that for stress? What the hell are you talking about? This company is being bled like a stuck pig, Mac, and I got a paper trail to prove it. Check this out. Take a look at this! Well, here's a pertinent one. Was Lewis obsessed with having perfect Her little children? children? Uh, Title drop? Here's the thing about that. I don't think Lewis did it. I think Lewis made Flora do it, and I think he's lording it over her. Okay. Because why else would she be afraid of going to prison? Well, and he that... He talked her into killing a baby, and she feels horrible and guilty because she did it. And that gives him something to lord over her. It is definitely... It is a theory. It is... Well, I was going to say that would definitely fit Lewis's M.O., he seems like the kind of guy who wouldn't want to get his own hands dirty. Mm -hmm. At least the one that's been constructed for us recently. I can spin off of that because I had some thoughts about how some of the rest of this might fit into things if something similar to that was the case. Mm -hmm. And that is that Lewis and Flora then agreed to split up because Lewis didn't want her around knowing that she would almost certainly inevitably say something to the kids. Okay. And he didn't want the OG Thomas and Emily to learn anything. Okay. So he let her go back to England, but roped in his old pal, Kevin Cater, who is out of work and in need of money, mm -hmm. to quote unquote, get in a relationship with Flora so that he could keep her under his thumb. Something we had posited earlier, explaining why Kevin's involved in this. Okay. What about don't, Yanina? Don't know what Yanina's doing there, except that maybe Kevin has a relationship with Yanina and she's just roped into it through that. Oh, maybe. I mean, if Kevin's not really in a loving relationship with Beth, he's not even the father of her children. It makes sense that he'd have someone he's in an actual relationship around with. Yeah, all right. Who's maybe just posing as the nanny, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. It doesn't explain the replacement kids. That's a weird situation, though. Yes. Hi, and I'm dating this guy and pretending to be the nanny because we can't tell anybody that we're not... That we're together. Because, because we're being paid good money by Lewis Brady. Yeah, because we're being paid to look after his ex-wife. His sort of ex-wife? It's, it's just weird. But it doesn't explain the replacement kids. Why would Lewis oh. consent 
to having two more children with Flora. Flora. And if he was all bent into a knot over Georgina not being perfect, why would he not want a perfect Georgina? You'd think that he would want that that particular replacement child. Right? You can you can throw one theory at it, but there's always something that's not going to line up right. Yeah. At least for me. I only have so many theories in my head. Um, another theory I had that doesn't quite line up right either is, is Flora, for some reason, being forced to, air quotes again, get it right? Like, Flora is somehow at fault for Georgina being imperfect? But again, that doesn't explain the replacement Thomas and Emily. No, it doesn't. You... But yes, it does. She's being forced to get it right. Yeah, but you'd think that getting it right would just be having a new Georgina who was perfect this time. You'd think there would be a, a, a new replacement Georgina. Yeah. Not a new replacement Thomas and Emily when Thomas and Emily are doing just fine living in Florida with their dad. Yes. No, I know. Like I said, it doesn't... Nothing quite lines up with everything. Yeah. So... Like, uh... there's there's layers of crazy going on here, and... Looking to get it right again is deep crazy. Yes. Like, it's several layers in. Okay, so, I have another question for you. There's a lot of assumptions going on here. If Lewis is completely cracked, right, and is very controlling of Flora and forcing her to do whatever it is that she's being forced to do, or has done, are the original Thomas and Emily also in danger and we just don't know it? I mean, it's not impossible. I kind of believe that they are completely innocent of all this. That they have been kept at arm's length. They think that their mother and father split up after Georgina died. Mm -hmm. And they've gone on to live relatively normal, if affluent, lives in Florida. Yes. I kind of believe that would be the case. And I say that because there's nothing that's happened in the book so far to suggest otherwise. Well, we haven't even met them. Yeah, but they have social media presences. Yeah, and but that's what I mean. They haven't shown up in our story, and so it's a little late to start introducing the new kids being the old kids. Yes, the old new kids. Right. That doesn't mean that they might not be in danger if Beth explodes this whole thing. Yeah, and then Lewis just blows his top. Yeah, but uh, again, I I don't believe that they have been mistreated. Because there, we have been given no evidence that they have. Again, I, I think that I think that the cover story we've been given for Thomas and Emily is legit. Okay, good. That makes me feel better. At least the original Thomas and Emily. Yes. The, the circumstances. The circumstances for the impossible Thomas and Emily are entirely different. Yes. Why bother keeping Flora in a whole other country? Keep her at arm's length. She's still under his thumb because he's got her wrapped up with someone who he controls. Yeah. Kevin, but. She's far enough away that she can't cause trouble. She's really far away. Yeah. To not cause trouble. So she can't do anything to cause trouble in Lewis's life. And she's probably being kept very far away from, again, the original Thomas and Emily. Because they're probably two people who might be able to get the truth out of her very easily. I suppose. A lot of this is speculation on my part. Well, all of our theories have been speculation because we continue to not have large pieces of the puzzle. I don't think this book was meant to be consumed in the way that you and I are consuming it. Well, most thrillers are meant to be page turners, so you're supposed to be on the hook for the next chapter, right? Which is fine. Like, there's there's exciting cliffhangers where you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next. And this one is a frustrating cliffhanger where you're like, uh, just tell me what's going on. And also, every chapter, we have to stop and put the book down for a week. 
and I don't think it's meant to be paused so often. We're, we're down to the last four chapters of the book, and there are, like, maybe a dozen pages left. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Uh, we're, we're certainly in line for some revelations. Oh, yes. Or a very tragic ending, oh. and a very abrupt one at that. Something is about to hit the fan, I am very certain. Yeah, we, uh, we actually were positing before we started recording. Um, Beth's been invited over to Flora's place. Are we 100% certain it's not a trap? We are not. Uh, we are not certain. We, we still don't know 100% that Flora's not actually the villain. It's true. We have been straight up told that Lewis, who might very well be the villain and is certainly being set up to be the villain, is probably going to come home at some point. So, yeah. Right? I I realized I've probably flopped back and forth a number of times about whether or not Lewis is the bad guy. So, I look forward to finding out which it is. My hang-up with Lewis being the bad guy early in the book was that it was too obvious that he was the bad guy. Because he was being set up right from jump. Beth didn't like him. He was an odious jerk. So, obviously, he was the bad guy. And in the back of my mind, I was like, so... We're being set up for a twist, right? But I'm wondering if Sophie Hannah was expecting that expectation. <laughs> she knew ah. that I knew that she knew yes. that I knew. And so, so she's like, haha, he is the bad guy. Yeah. And to be fair, sometimes the obvious villain is the villain. Well, yeah. It's just that I was on the lookout for a twist. And and the twist is there isn't a twist. And the twist might very well be that there isn't a twist. Oh, but a twist. there, as you said, there are four chapters left. Yeah, a lot can happen in these dozen or so pages. Indeed. In the meantime, uh, you will want to read up on Chapter 25 in time for next week. Yes. And while you're doing that, you might also want to check out one of the amazing products and or services that support this podcast. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city, cultivated by the community. Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup, gathering up what's happening locally in theater, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and more. It's curated by Fonda Mithrush, a veteran of Edmonton's art scene and co-host of I Don't Get It, a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Subscribe to the Arts Roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. It's Fringe Week here in Edmonton, or it's supposed to be Fringe Week here in Edmonton. Yeah. But the pandemic has stolen it from me, and it makes me sad. Uh, Edmonton, for those of you not local, uh, does host one of the largest fringe theater festivals in the world. And the Fringe is is, is my festival. Like, yeah. It's, it's my favorite one. I go to it every year. It's a big deal for me. It is Theater Christmas. And, and I love it. It's canceled. And it's canceled. Uh, Edmonton actually has a bit of a reputation as being a festival city because, especially through the summer, it feels like there's wall-to-wall festivals. Because there is. Sometimes overlapping. Oh, yeah, frequently. Uh, And there are winter festivals as well. They're not weekly like they are in the summer, (laughs) but there are plenty of festivals scattered throughout the year. And they've all been canceled (sighs) for correct reasons. We're not begrudging them making the right choice and no, canceling no, it was all clearly the right thing to do because you don't pack a bunch of people into a theater during the middle of a pandemic. But I'm still sad it's gone. Yeah, but one thing that is not gone is delightful podcasts. And there is uh, many places where you can go and partake in them. One of them is the Alberta Podcast Network, where you can find a whole host of podcasts on their website, including our own. 
That's albertapodcastnetwork.com. Or really just on any podcatcher of your choice. Yeah. While you're there, you might give us a little rating and a review. We'd appreciate it. We would. You can also reach out to us on social media. The standard list that I always prattle off. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read-along on most of those. If you want to send us a longer message, you're more than welcome to send us an email. It is thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we'll see you next time. Flora Jeanette Caterbury. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs>